Hello and welcome to the Secretary Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the David Wagner to my Wagner from X Factor. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how's it going? It's been a long time since we've uh, had a little chit chat, isn't it? I know it's been a, it's been a whole week. It's been it's been a sad uh, sad several days for me. It's uh, you know having a few withdrawals. I've had to cry myself to sleep a couple of times, but um, now I'm, I'm reunited with you. I'm, I'm happy again. It's great. You know, life's life's back to how it should be. That's always good to hit. Did you enjoy our episode with Kieran Maguire last weekend? It was very insightful, as always. Kieran Maguire carries. A lot of conversations he's in, so well done to him. Yeah, Kieran Maguire is a top bloke. We thank him a lot for joining us on uh, last Sunday's episode. If you want to have a listen to that, gives you a great insight into all financial things going on in the championship. And Lord knows there is a lot of financial things going on <laughs> in the championship. Uh, otherwise, Justin, you keeping yourself good? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just it's, yeah, it's that time of year where everything's just a bit just a bit flat after Christmas and you're trying to cheese yourself up for the rest of the year because January is just a pointless month isn't it shouldn't even be on the calendar should just get rid of it a bit like November in a way just get it gone there's there's absolutely no point in it everyone's just always a bit meh they just want to get to February and get going for spring again just go away January bloody November <laughs> um, will some championship football pick you up do you think I think so yeah no actually I know so I love championship football it's always a delightful conversation in that case, welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to look ahead to some of the big games in the championship coming up this weekend. Me and Justin will each predict a team we think is guaranteed to win and a team we think could spring somewhat of a surprise in the championship this weekend. We'll also talk about some of the news that we've missed over the past week and a bit. And then we'll finish off with Diddy or Didn't He right at the end. So we'll start off with our preview of the weekend. Now, Justin, out of interest i thought i'd have a look back at how our bankers and surprise winners have been doing recently we don't do them every thursday of course if there's been midweek games but in the last three shows where we have picked a banker and a surprise winner you haven't got a single one right yeah um sometimes i overthink these things because i try and be a little bit too clever um there was a period in the season where i was doing okay i was doing fine um but yeah i think just i just like to yeah, not not say things to um, uh, you know make inflame uh, a conversation, um, but I do like to throw in a couple of um, a couple of curveballs. And I think that's my thinking. I just like to be a little bit on the edge, a little bit crazy. I've got this idea that there's an alter ego character of you, and his name is Justin Sane. Just insane. Get it? Okay. Yeah, that's the and kind of he, he comes out every so often and just springs something on the podcast <laughs> that is completely nuts, completely bonkers. And every so often you just see him walking towards you and you're like, oh no, here comes just insane. And he comes up with something completely out of nowhere. And are you saying that's basically your alter ego speaking on your behalf every time I do a preview episode? That could be the case. If there are any really committed, avid listeners, if we could find um, you know t- periods of time where this has happened, and then we can correlate when it happens. So, if, like if it correlates with a full moon, for example, we can make provisions to avoid it mm. happening. Um, because obviously, it's, I mean, it might be good for the show, it might be good for listens and views, etc. But it's no good for close friends and family. No way. Perhaps, perhaps you're correct. We will have to do some research into that. So come on then, just insane. Who's your banker for the championship this weekend? Not quite an insane one this week. I've gone with Blackburn to beat Rotherham. Um, and it seems an obvious one considering Rotherham, considering Rotherham's inability to keep clean sheets or at least even reduce opposition, um, opposition to my, a minute amount of chances or a normal amount of chances in games. They've been so poor defensively. And I think it... My thinking around this uh, around this one centres around Rotherham's just terrible performances and form at the moment. Um, with with Blackburn, you can argue that they don't create enough, but they are clinical. They are a clinical team. Um, I think quite a few of their goals recently, I mentioned it in, in last week's episode, um, quite a few of their goals recently have been rather fortuitous, you know, ball landing in good good areas, deflections, etc. Um, they have been quite fortunate, but they are they do get into good areas and they are good at defending leads, as we well know. And they've got clinical players, and they've shown that on several several occasions this season. 
Doesn't necessarily mean they'll finish in the top six. I'll throw that caveat in there. I'm not backing Blackburn to, to get into the top six. But I do think this is a this should be a relatively straightforward one for them. They've got good players. Um, they've shown in the last two games, they've kept two clean sheets, obviously two wins as well, including the FA Cup win over Norwich, um, that they do have they do have ability to get back to what they were doing earlier on in the season. Um, and as I say, Rotherham, just not very good. They scored four goals in six games, conceded 14 in that time. It's, unhe- it's unhealthy. They've lost Brook Norton Coffey. Um, I know they brought in Sean Morris and that might shore things up a little bit, but um, attacking-wise, just don't see it happening. I always approach any Blackburn game with a level of scepticism because I am expecting them to go on a downfall as the mm. weeks go on and also because Blackburn are a fairly unpredictable side. Um, but having said that, Rotherham have been the worst team in the division over the past few weeks. If I wanted to face a team right now, mm. it would be Rotherham. So I'd be expecting Blackburn to get a win here. Um, but as I say, with Blackburn's slight unpredictability it does make me question it slightly however I would be expecting to get a win here my banker for the championship this weekend is Sheffield United to beat Stoke at three o'clock on Saturday at Bramall Lane I could have picked either of the top two to win this weekend but I've gone with Sheffield United because Stoke aren't as good as Coventry who Burnley are playing Sheffield United now on eight wins from 10 games Truly astonishing form that's only made slightly less astonishing than Burnley um, somehow being in even better form. But the Blades have managed to create a nine-point gap between them and third place. And there's every chance it can grow even bigger this weekend because they should be expecting another three points here. Admittedly, they haven't been swashbuckling recently, have they? In fact, they've actually been quite fortunate in their last four games. And you can make a fair argument that they've been second best in each of those games. The thing that's got them the victories, though, is their superb quality that they've got from the individuals in that team. All it takes is, you know, the sight of goal from a Billy Sharp or a late run from Sander Berger or a defensive slip up for Illiman and Dai to capitalise on. And if the opposition lose focus for even the slightest moment, Sheffield United capitalise on it because they are a top side. We saw that with QPR in their last league game. QPR fell asleep in the last mm. moments of the game. Sheffield United snatch a point. They could very well also have Olimit Burney back here as well, or at least I hope so, because I bet on him to be top goal scorer and he's killing me by not playing <laughs> games. Um, Stoke are probably the most unpredictable side in the division. Every so often, they'll put in a performance which makes you think, OK, they could be turning a corner and then they revert to being this team who can't finish a dog's dinner. They will cause Sheffield United problems because they have got some talented players in that team. But if you give each of these sides 10 chances in a game, there's only one team I'm backing to score more of them. And that's Sheffield United every single day of the week. So I'm going for a Blades win to crank up their amazing form even further, Justin. Yeah, maybe I'll have a little bit of scepticism for this, mainly because Stoke's away form isn't that bad. Uh, and I think you have that roulette aspect of Stoke where you have no idea what team's going to turn up. It could be a world-beating Stoke or it could be we're crumbling, we're going down Stoke. Um, so there's that caveat to throw in there. But you are right. If the team's going to have chances and going to take them, it's going to be Sheffield United because Stoke's conversion is absolutely terrible. Um, so I'll probably lean with you on that. But just an interesting one to consider. They have you know, Stoke's away form is the ninth best in the league, surprisingly. So that might play a part. Yeah, it was something I was considering myself, but my thinking was Stoke at their best would yeah. not be able to beat a Sheffield United side who are playing at a 6 out of 10 level, yeah. Yeah, in yeah. my personal opinion. So all Sheffield United would have to do is just turn up on the day and put in a good enough performance to get over whatever Stoke side turns up. Um, I'll do my surprise winner next, Justin. I've gone for Preston to beat Norwich on Saturday at three o'clock. Now, I was talking about Stoke just a second ago about how unpredictable they are. Preston definitely fall into that bracket. Them and Stoke are probably the most unpredictable teams in the division. And I think that's summarised perfectly by the fact that in Preston's last 10 games, they've won five and lost five. (laughs) It's very hard to give a comprehensive analysis of this Preston side, especially at home where they've lost most of their games. You never know which one's going to turn up. And similarly to what you were just saying a second ago, Justin, it kind of is like a roulette wheel at times with Preston just spin it around and see which one comes out. Is it going to be a good side 
good Preston or a bad Preston, who knows. But I think they've got a good chance against this Norwich team. The two most convincing performances I've seen from Preston this season have been in the 4-1 against Blackburn and in the 3-2 against Norwich. So I think they could cause some problems again. Norwich, of course, just three wins from 15 before sacking Dean Smith. David Wagner began life as head coach there with a loss at home to Blackburn in the Cup. I'm not the most convinced by this appointment, so I'll predict a bad start for him in his first league game. And similarly to what I said just a second ago, I was saying that Stoke would struggle to beat a Sheffield United side, which turn up a Sheffield United side who put out a 6 out of 10 performance. I think Preston, at their best, could beat a Norwich team who put out a 6 out of 10 performance yeah. I think that I think that the standard's a bit higher with a, a Sheffield United for example so that's why I'm going for a Preston surprise win over Norwich this weekend I don't think it'd be that much of a surprise uh, for me I think Norwich's form of late has been so poor and obviously that appointment for David Wagner I just uh, like you I'm not convinced by it at all and I think Ryan Lowe is such a good tactician at times and he's got such an interesting style of play and if he's got the right personnel it's, it's going to click um, but they are at home, which does add into that uncertainty. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm a little bit uncertain um, with it being a banker. I will say, not I'm not saying it's a banker by any means. No. Uh, uh, the only the way I summarise my surprise winners is by looking at what the bookies are saying and then uh, see if uh, if they're the outsider. Um, that's what I qualify as a surprise winner, but I fully accept that it may not necessarily be a surprise because Norwich have been in great form. However, with a new manager, maybe you'd be expecting them to get a result. Who knows? But there you go, Justin. Who's your surprise winner? Yeah, I mean, I, may, I maybe made it a bit harder for you by going with the banker surprise winner of the weekend. I'm going mm. with Blackpool to beat Watford. There's a really <laughs> obvious surprise winner this weekend, <laughs> isn't there? There is, there is. Um, I, to be fair, you know, now I've slept on it after making that choice. Now I've slept on it. I'm, I'm sort of in the, the realm of maybe it's not as a significant banker from an outsider uh, perspective, or maybe not from the bookies perspective, mainly because Blackpool's form of late has been actually pretty good. Um, the performances have been, um, I would say, six, seven out of ten, and they've started to build upon that positively. You go back to that FA Cup weekend last weekend, their winner over Forest was emphatic, and they absolutely peppered and battered them. You know, Forest aren't great, um, but they do boast quite a lot of good players um, so I think that's um, you know a good indicator of where Blackpool are going at the moment under Appleton and um, <laughs> I mean make no bones about it I've sympathised with Appleton of late I've not defended him but I see from a different perspective what he's had to contend with and I think now we're seeing that come out of the other side and in a positive way still don't rate him as much as a championship manager but he's certainly a, a half decent coach and he's got a little bit more quality in his side now. Um, so we can really see what he's going to achieve. And obviously if the poor form continues or the lack of wins continue, um, then you know there's, there's, there's ground for sacking there. But now he's got Josh Bowler, now he's got Morgan Rogers, two really, really good players. Obviously Josh Bowler, an unreal, unreal player. Um, and if he starts and if he gets game time and if he's fit enough, he's going to cause Watford's fullbacks issues. Watford have issues at fullback and have had issues at fullback all season. And Blackpool's strengths, um, if you know, on a good day, um, is it getting the ball into wide areas and getting balls into the box. Um, and I think that uncertainty of Watford defensively at the moment, um, until they bring a couple of players in potentially, um, I think Blackpool can exploit that. I really do. Um, and as I say, I go back to that epi- uh, the performance at the weekend, 4-1 against Premier League team, will do a world of good for their confidence um, and I think mix that with Watford being relatively so-so of, of late under Billich not a criticism of Billich but certainly a criticism of the players I think it swings the game in Blackpool's favour because until those new signings that Watford have, have signed over the last couple of weeks are integrated into the team and they've got João Pedro back and Imran Lauza, I don't think we're going to see the best of them I think it'll be um, I think it'll be an exciting second half of the season for Watford but there'll be a few bumps on the way and I think this will be one of them yeah, it, it may seem a bit strange picking a team who's without a win in their last nine championship games, but I do get the sense Blackpool are turning a corner, mainly because of their transfer business that they've conducted in the last week or so, which we'll talk about very shortly in the news, Justin. Uh, but also with Watford's sketchy form, this is 
the obvious choice for a surprise winner this weekend, isn't it? So we'll see how that goes. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about some of the news from the past week and a bit, including loads and loads of transfer news. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and we'll start with Norwich. And David Wagner has been confirmed as their new boss since the last time we spoke, Justin. He's joined on a 12-month rolling contract, which is interesting. And he says he's ready to restart Norwich's season. Can he restart Norwich's season, Justin? I can't get any. It couldn't get any worse, could it? So yeah, I think in some ways he, he can. It's a bit like when you repeatedly die in a game and you got the chance to um, you got the chance to restart it, and you just don't feel that same love there. It's just not the same. Um, I think it's going to be a bit like that from an outsider perspective for Norwich. Um, I'd like to see him do it. I think you know making Norwich more competitive will only lend to a more competitive chase for the top six but um, for me his, his football wasn't necessarily exciting it was functional he got results I think if you go back to his Huddersfield team that got promoted they got promoted or well, they finished in the playoffs with minus goal difference um, and I can't remember, recall many teams doing that and that playoff that playoff campaign um, and that playoff final probably one of the worst I've seen ever or it probably what is the worst I've seen Um so it wasn't exactly fun or exciting to watch, but it's functional, got results, and I think that's what Norwich need. Yeah, I still don't think this appointment will work out. As I said before, his record since leaving Huddersfield has been appalling. And having given it some more thought, I'm not totally convinced his style will suit Norwich. He's got mm. better players at Norwich than he did at Huddersfield, and whether that lends to his style, where he's not necessarily dominating games, I don't know. I might be wrong on that one, but... You look at the lack of chances they created in that Huddersfield team. Sketchy, very, very sketchy. And how it will go in a in a better team with better players, where the expectation's higher, not too sure. A 12-month rolling contract, I find very peculiar. Sure, it suits Norwich because they could just get rid of him whenever they want to, really. But if it doesn't work out, it's not exactly a huge vote of confidence is it and the club that this manager um it, it, it's not it's not a huge vote of confidence from the club to say no. this is the manager we want to take the club forward with if you see what i mean and then yeah. according to reports norwich were also apparently considering the likes of katil knutson and scott parker for the job before deciding on wagner now we've criticized scott parker plenty of times on this show and rightly so in my view but He's still got two promotions in two mm-hmm. championship seasons under his belt. So I think he'd have been a better appointment than yeah. Wagner. And then you ask any expert on European football, Knutsen is one of the most highly thought of managers mm-hmm. on the continent right now. And he's doing a marvellous job at Bodo Glimt in Norway. And it would have been a really ambitious move if they decided to get him. And Wagner, Wagner's just meh. It's, I think it's a safe appointment yeah, from yeah. Weber, but I feel like he's gone too safe. Yeah, it's a bit like, um, I don't know, trying to refer it to, you go out for a nice swanky meal and you end up just getting pie and mash. There's nothing wrong with pie and mash, it does the trick, but if you want to pay 30 quid, 40 quid for a, for a lovely meal you want to get your money's worth, I don't think they're going to get that with David Wagner, unfortunately. They're just getting pie and mash um, with, a, with a dash of gravy, which is a lovely meal, I'm not going to try and offend anyone. But you want to be impressed, you want to be excited, and it's just not one of those things that excites you. Um, it might do to some, but they're boring people. Whisper, it's, whisper. it's a chance. It's a chance. It's a chance for Norwich to have some, you know, to have some cocker van, isn't it? You know, really <laughs> go out there and really experiment with their taste palette. But they they've gone for, as you say, bangers and mash, which yeah. is all right. It does a job, but will it? take your taste buds to the next level exactly exactly this is the perfect analogy for david for the david wagner appointment he's pie he's, he's pie and mash he's bangers and mash they should have gone for you know my cuisine knowledge is terrible i've ruined this analogy but you know what i mean they should have gone for something a little bit more up up market a little bit more beef bourguignon 
Beef bouillon, yeah. Let's get it right. Yeah, cocker van. Um, what else do you get in fancy restaurants? I don't know. Um, no, I'm, I'm just going to leave that there. I think casserole. Ratatouille. Or ratatouille or, you know, um, a caviar. Something like that, you yeah. know. It's just a chance to try something, Norwich, and you've gone for bangers and mash. God's sake. Uh, let's move on, shall we? Coventry City have a new owner. Doug King has completed his purchase of a majority 85% share in the club. The deal will see all their debts cleared. King says, I'm honoured and excited to be taking this club forward into its next chapter. Already, I've been struck by the enthusiasm of Sky Blues fans, which many personally wishing me well and I thank them for those sentiments I'm looking forward to the future of this great club and what we can achieve together finally some great news for Coventry City fans off the pitch it's been a long time since they've had some yeah absolutely it's, it's fantastic um, it's it's a new chapter for the club and obviously with ownerships you don't know where they're going to go but at least with a local um, a local owner you know that their heart's in the right place or at least you expect it to be um, which is only a good thing uh, it's only a good thing that means the club's going to ruin hopefully be run more pragmatically and it has been um, but it's going to continue it's going to lay on the solid groundwork that Coventry have been able to build off the field in terms of how they've recruited under Mark Robbins how the side of players progressed um, and really try and take them to the next level Um, whether that can be done this season or not I don't know but at least you know if they can get three or four signings in this January I know Mark Robbins has alluded to it as well um, then they can push to at least be a competitor for the top six which I think is a a huge, huge mark of their transition under under Robbins, and as I say, now Sisu, uh, Sisu, the previous owners is out, uh, are out the way. Um, they can really try and look forward and, and get things resolved, the stadium or stadium situation resolved, you know, things like that. It's just a new chapter for for Coventry fans, and I think that's that's just the the headline there. They've got a a chance to start afresh, which they've not had for what 15, 16 years, however long Sisu have owned the club. Well, it's a really exciting time for Coventry, isn't it? Talk about clearing all the debts is a great place for any new owner to start. And he's also talked about doing things like regenerating the area around the stadium, which, I mean, if when it comes to, you know, sensible owners, that's the mm-hmm. things I want to hear, you know, actually caring about the city as well as the club. And instead of just, I'd rather have an owner who does that, things like that, than spunking money on overpaid players who are going to be you know sold for nothing um a couple of years down the line um i've always said with coventry mark robbins has got this club going in the right direction despite it being turmoil off the pitch now that it's hopefully not going to be turmoil off the pitch imagine what he could do it could be the start of something really special for coventry because they've managed to go from league two to you know edge of the top six under Sisu who haven't been the greatest owners on earth now they've got a, an owner who seems like he's got his head screwed on I've said that before about other chairmen and they've turned out to not be the case so we'll wait and see with that but um, hopefully that is the case and as I say it could be something really positive for Coventry the stadium situation is obviously a concern and I, whatever happens I don't think Doug King should be blamed for that unless there's some serious mismanagement on his behalf but that would be the only remaining concern off the pitch for Coventry because otherwise it's starting to look a lot more rosy for mm. the Sky Blues and that's obviously not been the case for a long time, has it? Let's move on to transfers then. Just a reminder as always that we're only covering the done deals while the window is open and the big movers so far in January have been Blackpool of all teams. They've re-signed Josh Bowler from Forest on loan just a matter of months after he moved there for a reported £2 million. They've also brought in young Man City forward Morgan Rogers on loan who Michael Appleton will know well from his time at Lincoln. So the reason why Bowler's gone back there is because he'd already played for Blackpool this season and Olympiacos on loan and you're only allowed to play for two clubs in a season so despite him being a Forest player he's not actually allowed to play for them this season now. So his options were either carry on playing at Olympiacos Arcos, where he's only started one game since September, or go back to Blackpool. Uh, and that's what he's done. Quite a bizarre situation, really. I can't recall too many players moving to the Premier League for big money and then going back to the club they left in the Championship just a few <laughs> months later. But for Blackpool, it's happy days, isn't it? I think it's an absolute game-changer signing, Justin. Blackpool have been underwhelming this season, let's 
make no bones about that. But Josh Bowler would have been a great signing for pretty much every championship mm-hmm. side, bar maybe the top two and a couple of others, perhaps. So for a team like Blackpool to get him when they're in the bottom three, it's pretty mad, isn't it? And he was a one-man wrecking crew at times for Blackpool last season. And there's a reason why there was a lot of interest in him, not just from Forest. Quite a few sides were sniffing around him. I think Fulham were interested mm-hmm. in him last summer. He's a brilliant dribbler. He found his end product in the latter half of last season, which made him this complete winger ready for the Premier League. And it's got to be said, this signing has overshadowed the signing of Morgan Rogers, which I think is an impressive move in itself. He didn't exactly pull up trees at Bournemouth last season. However, if a team like that wants to sign you in the in the first place... You're clearly a talented boy, aren't you? And he was marvellous at Lincoln when they nearly got promoted a couple of years ago from League One. Perhaps linking back up with Michael Apperton might get the best out of him. So it's truly remarkable that a bottom three team has managed to pull off these two signings. And I think what it means is it's very bad news for the other teams who are very much in the relegation battle because I can quite easily see these two helping Blackpool pull away from that. Yeah, I think the only potential issue with Blackpool is um, final third conversion and whether their strikers are consistent enough to put the chances these two are going to create on a on a plate for them is, yeah, and put them away. They um, might not need them, Justin. They well, might just yeah. do it themselves. Potentially, potentially. And I think Josh Bowler, for example, I think his spell at Olympiacos is going to... Um, I think that's going to have made him even hungrier to, to thrive and, and get back to what he was doing. Because when he... Before he left, his form in the first five or six games for Blackpool this season, he was very, very good. He was incredible. Um, and obviously, he earned that move. And I think it's obviously a win-win for Blackpool because they get money for him and they get him back for probably basically nothing because their bargaining chip is very, very high because of Forrest's inability to um, recruit efficiently. Um, but that's that's sort of the team's advantages. And for Morgan Rogers, I think, is a, is a great signing. I, I felt for him last season because Scott Parker did him dirty a little bit, I think, he was. They could have terminated his loan, um, but that, that that didn't happen. That didn't transpire. He could have gone to another club, um, but he stayed at Bournemouth for the season, and he wasn't in their twenty-five man squad for the second half of the season because he signed just about every top-flight uh, bench warmer going, um, which didn't particularly work out great. Uh, although they were promoted. Um, but enough about Scott Parker. Morgan Rogers is a good signing. They've got a lot of quality in the wide areas now, and as uh, as you've alluded to. They might not need to rely on their forwards putting away chances because these two are incredibly gifted. Uh, and I think that's just going to help them massively. Blackpool are a team built on good wide players under Appleton and even under Critchley. And I think if Cash Anderson can get back fit relatively soon or in the next month, yeah, that's a very good front line. Well, that Lincoln team that was brilliant under Michael Appleton had Morgan Rogers on one wing and Brennan Johnson mm-hmm. also up there with him and getting echoes of that with these two signings. So could be very exciting times for Blackpool in the second half of the season. Meanwhile, Theo Corbineau has been recalled from his loan at Blackpool by Wolves. Middlesbrough have signed Cameron Archer on loan from Villa. The young striker impressed at Preston last season and Borough have reportedly beaten off a lot of competition for the 21-year-old. This is an exciting move, isn't it, Justin? It is. It's, it's a brilliant move. I think the only hesitation I have with Middlesbrough in signing a really good forward is because it usually doesn't end up going the way that everybody wants it to. Um, you look at Balogun last season, didn't really work out. And I think there are there are examples in the past of them signing you know, good promising forwards and not really not really going particularly well. But no, this this is. I think this, this one's different because Archer is a top top talent. Um, he is a superb finisher. He can play with his back to goal. He can play on the shoulder. His movement's fantastic and he's just 20, 21 years old as well. Um, He's got every attribute to be a top player, a top flight player, that is. Um, And I think Middlesbrough getting him could be the catalyst. And I think things are different under Carrick than they have been under previous managers and I just hope that he gets chances. But considering you've got players like Ryan Giles, um, Riley McGree getting into good areas and putting balls in the box or feeding balls into into good spaces runs off runs off Cameron Archer is just going to add a different dimension to that front third um, and that pop in behind him a lot of potential for goals a lot of potential for goals quite scary actually well, Middlesbrough have gone from desperately needing a striker to now having two with Archer, but also Matt Crooks, who's turned out to be Yorkshire's <laughs> answer to Drogba since being given a go up front. Uh, but yeah, Michael Carrick has said Archer offers him something different, which is very true. I just hope he gets game time because he was excellent for Preston last season, Monty. 
really exciting player, loves to come deep to get the ball, loves running at defenders and he's also got that finishing touch as well which is really hard to find at this level, someone who can do all of that and he could really flourish in this Middlesbrough team. It wouldn't surprise me if he got shifted out to play left wing, which would be interesting to see if that works or not. I think it's a good problem for Carrick to have anyway, how he fits Archer into this team. Uh, it would also be interesting to see what this means for Rodrigo Muniz, who hasn't had the impact that many people were hoping he would have at Middlesbrough. So this move might spell the end of his time there. Birmingham have brought in Raider Kadra on loan from Brighton. The forward has spent this season so far on loan at Sheffield United, where he's mostly been used off the bench. I think this step down will do him good, Justin. Yeah, he's an exciting player. I really like him. Uh, I really, really like him. He's, he's versatile across the, um, if the front three positions, uh, I would say. And I think he gives Eustace something slightly different to what he's currently got, even in Bakuna as well. Um, he's an exciting option. He's a bit of a, he can be a bit of a maverick, and he's he's got he's got ability. He's not been able to show that at Sheffield United this season because he's just like, he's not played enough games or not enough minutes anyway. Um, yeah, really, really exciting, and I think he showed glimpses of what he's capable of, of uh, at Blackburn uh, last season. And I think he can, again, a bit like Bowler, he's going to be hungry to really hit the ground running at Birmingham, and I think Birmingham's the best place for. Young hungry loanies to go and prove a point, and under under Eustace, yes, yeah, is a good signing. Well, similar to Archer, he offers Birmingham something different, don't he? You've got Deeney, Hogan, Jukovic up front. Kadra can be that player who mm. likes to run at players, serve up chances to the likes of Hogan, really be that foil for whoever he plays up front with. And we've spoken loads about Birmingham's very talented midfield. I quite like the idea of Kadra Chong. Medry, etc., all running around and swarming on opposition teams, but then being clever when they've got the ball at their feet mm. too. So I think it's a smart signing by Birmingham. I don't think he'll set the world alight, but he's a very useful player to have. Uh, meanwhile, the Polish winger Premislaw Plaheta has been recalled from his loan at Birmingham by Norwich. Brighton striker Aaron Connolly has gone on loan to Hull. He was playing at Venezia in Italy and spent time at Middlesbrough last season. Not sure about this one, Justin. He was far from impressive at Middlesbrough and has barely played since moving to Italy. He was once seen as the big hope for the future of Irish football, wasn't he? But his future has gone by the wayside, hasn't it? The trouble is, I don't really know what he does because he's certainly yeah. not a goal scorer. You, don't have to, you only have to look at his goal record to know that. And is he a chance creator? Well, he was creating a chance every 169 minutes for Middlesbrough, so you'd say no. He's five foot seven, so he's not a target man. He works hard, I'll give him that, but I don't really know what else he offers. And it seems like this move is kind of a punt from Hull to see if they can get the best out of him. Gives him an option. Gives him an option. Rossini knew him from his time at Brighton as well, and uh, as an under 23s coach. Um, but you're right, got no idea what he brings to a team other than a good work rate, but. If they want to throw money my way, I'll do that. I like running as well. Um, but that's not what makes a good footballer, is it? You can do it and it's an important facet to your game, but if it's anything you can do, you're in a bit of a in a bit of a pickle. Um yeah, he's it's a bit of a punt and an extra option in the final third, that's it. Huddersfield have signed ex-Burnley defender Matt Lowton and former Sheffield Wednesday forward Florian Camberry. Uh, I think Lowton's a solid signing for them, Justin. Can I get a nod from you? Yep. That's a nod for all the podcast listeners and obviously if you, well, you won't watch it, but I'm nodding. Good. Good to hear. Ex-England defender Stephen Corker has joined Wigan on a deal until the end of the season. It, this was a surprising move for me, Justin, mainly because I didn't realise Stephen Corker was still playing. Really? I thought I thought, he's, I thought he retired. No, no. Yeah, he's been at, um, he's, I can't remember the club he joined initially he did very, very well at but he then went to Fenerbahce and he was shafted massively by the management there um, so he joined them after a very good spell um, I can't remember the club what the club's called now um, but he had a very good spell there and he joined Fenerbahce and a new manager came in um, and didn't want him essentially and he's just spent time on the sidelines but I think it's a very tidy signing for Wigan I was surprised that um, Wigan were the club in for him I thought there might have been other clubs probably in and around Europe, um, maybe in a top flight as well, going in for him because he's he has revitalised his career. He's in a much better place than he was quite a few years ago. and um, He adds a, an experienced pedigree in there, which I think is going to be really, really essential for Wigan, defensively anyway, because they have been hopeless. 
interesting. I wasn't expecting too much from this signing, but you've given it quite a billing, Justin. Elsewhere, Wigan have also signed Arsenal midfielder Miguel Aziz on loan, while striker Nathan Broadhead and midfielder Graeme Shinney have left Wigan. The former's been recalled from his loan by Everton and sent to Ipswich, while the latter has gone to Aberdeen. Watford have signed Benfica right-back João Ferreira for a reported £2 million, 21 years old he is. Uh, Coventry have been loaned Arsenal defender Brooke Norton Cuffey, the 18-year-old has spent the season so far at Rotherham. I think this is a really smart move that could go under the radar. Justin, he's been excellent at Rotherham this season. In some games, he's actually been their main attacking a threat. I remember that Norwich game uh, a few months ago now, but he was giving Max Aarons all sorts of problems, and he has been... Uh, Max Aarons has been linked with your Man United, etc. So for an 18-year-old defender to be doing mm. that to someone like him is very impressive. I'm not sure why he's not been playing for Rotherham recently. Maybe they knew he was heading out the door. But I really like this lad. Strong, athletic, good dribbler. I think he offers a lot more from right back than what they've got. So a good move for Kov in my book. A commentary have also signed 20-year-old left-back Josh Wilson Esbrand on loan from Man City. Preston have loaned in Everton striker Tom Cannon for the season, a really explosive striker. Uh, Benekafobe <laughs> has mutually terminated his contract at Millwall ahead of a move to Dubai. Justin, you text me to say you were heartbroken by this move. I've... It, the reason is, is I feel a little bit um, hard done by because I've given Benekafobe my backing for basically two or three years now, I've 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 gone all in on him, um, and he's and he's not quite hit the form I expected. And maybe Gary Rowett's feeling the same, but I feel I feel much closer to a phobia than maybe Rowett did. Um, yeah, I like him a lot. I've just I've wanted him to thrive in the championship because his form when he was at Wolves, for example, was just unreal. And then it's just a bad move to Bournemouth, it seemed to stall his career. So yeah, a bit disappointed, but obviously it's a good payday for him. I imagine going to Dubai and a lovely place to be a lot warmer than over here yeah not gonna argue with that <laughs> with you on that one Ashley Westwood has left Burnley to join Charlotte FC in the MLS Justin did you know Ashley Westwood was still at Burnley yeah he got injured last season didn't he I've seen I've seen a compilation of his um first time passes that Burnley fans put together the first time passes in behind the back four they're incredible didn't realize he had that in his locker um but it's worth worth um, searching for if you've got time I didn't realise he was still at Burnley, but fairly good player. I didn't realise he was 32 as well. Seems like he's mm. still mid mid to late 20s at the at the very at the very latest. Richie Hansen's signed a new deal at Rotherham, keeping him at the club until 2025. Good bit of news for them. He's been one of the best keepers in the division this season. Anti. Meanwhile, Rotherham have signed defender Sean Morrison from Cardiff, who's left there after eight and a half years. Not too much of a surprise that he's left them because he's been struggling with an injury he suffered last season. But hopefully he can get back to playing regularly. Meanwhile, striker Max Waters has also left Cardiff to go on loan to Barnsley. Andy Carroll signed a new contract to keep him at Reading until the end of next season. Aaron Ramsey, not that one, has been recalled from his loan at Norwich by Aston Villa. And George Hurst has been recalled from his loan at Blackburn by Leicester. Moving away from transfers and Gareth Bale has retired. He made the announcement on Monday after much speculation that he could call it a day. The reason we're talking about it on a championship podcast, Justin, is because I wanted to ask you, is he the greatest product of the championship ever? Ooh, I think, yeah, obviously, yes. Got to be. I saw his first professional goal as well. Yeah, it was at Derby, wasn't it? Free yeah, kick, wasn't it? free kick, and he was the second best free kick taker on the pitch that day as well. Incredible. <laughs> he was the first. In a go with Yakez. There you go. Always, always good to hear him mention. Uh, but yeah, I, I completely agree. In terms of what he's accomplished in the game, it's got to be Bale. And I mean, how many players who have been in the Championship have gone on to win the Champions League? There aren't that many. And Bale's done it multiple times, hasn't he? Of course, his spell at Real Madrid was very mixed, but there's been talk about him being the greatest British player of all time. And can't disagree. Yeah. Big argument for it, big debate for it. But if you're talking about the greatest products ever from the championship, I think Bale has got to be mm. uh, top of that list, Anti, I can't think of too many others off the top of my head. Harry Kane, but Bale's accomplished more than he has, Anti. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's a pretty shut and done case, that one, isn't it? Interesting to think what would have happened in a parallel universe where he did sign for Cardiff last summer, isn't it? Of course, it was talked about for months before he decided to go to the MLS. My instinct is it would have been very underwhelming if he had moved to Cardiff. You look at what he's done with LAFC, 
this season. He's only started two games and mm. unfortunately, as talented a player as he is, his body simply just can't do it anymore, can he? And when you're playing in the Championship where you're often playing three times a week, he wouldn't have been able to cope, <laughs> no. I don't think, would he? No. He, he, would have, he would have given the club and the fans a morale boost, but not much else. And you consider as well that Cardiff aren't splashed for cash. He wouldn't have helped there in that department either. He would have taken a massive pay cut, of course. I'm sure that would have been the case, but he'd still been expecting a wage. So that wouldn't have helped. So I don't think Cardiff would have been in a very different situation if he had signed, to be honest. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that, Justin. Uh, well, you, it, it probably would have done more harm to his reputation or um, his, um, what's the word I'm looking for? His standing in Wales? Not necessarily standing, his legacy. Um because I, I, like you said, in hindsight, three games a week, especially in that period before the World Cup, no way. Um, he'd have, we'd have probably seen him five or six times, and then he'd have retired, and it all fizzled out, and just been really sad. And we'd have, we'd have all be saying, "Oh, it's a shame, really." You know, because he wouldn't have looked like the player we expected him to be. Um, so yeah, probably the right thing that he didn't go to Cardiff. But as you say, great career and top top player. Another sliding doors moment was his transferred to Nottingham Forest back in sort of 2008 2009 that didn't go through yeah yeah of course yeah that that was during the period where he went the longest time mm. without winning a game in the Premier League one tip from his debut to eventually winning a game that was the longest time on record I don't know if that's been changed since but uh Nearly moved to Forest, yeah. Would have been a very strange parallel universe, wouldn't it? Um, the press agency says the EFL isn't hopeful of agreeing a financial settlement with the Premier League over the distribution of wealth. The Football League wants to abolish parachute payments and instead get a 25% share, which will be paid out across the four divisions based on merit. But the league has told clubs in a circular that it has virtually no leverage to make it happen and hopes an independent regulator will come in. Not a particularly surprising one, this one, Justin. It isn't obviously the leverage. <laughs> the leverage side of things is is um, is an obvious one, but I, I do think there's a there's a really good chance to sell the product that is a championship. I think without the Premier League, um, I think the championship could th- could thrive as a top league. I think there was whilst the Super League was could have been a well it was a disaster for the football pyramid. You know, I wasn't necessarily against the idea of just kicking those six teams out and. You know the the, the the league becoming you know more united in in that sense and a lot more competitive and it would have been interesting but yeah I think the championship uh, or the EFO that is um, there's a great product there to sell and I think the Premier League relies heavily on the competitiveness of competitiveness of the championship to make the Premier League competitive as well because at the minute it's just four or five teams competing at the very top um, but you look you look at the likes of Leicester who have been able to rise through the the EFL from League One to the Championship to Premier League winners, you know, it doesn't happen without the foundations that have been set in the second tier. So there's a good product to sell then, you know, whether they're doing it or not, well enough, I, I don't know, but certainly an independent regulator is, regulator is absolutely essential for the longevity and sustainability of the Football League. Bristol City have asked for clarification as to why they've had so few penalties awarded in the last three years. It's been 430 days since they were awarded a penalty in any competition. Uh, I don't know if you have any theories. Just I, 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 I just don't know what the PGMOL are, are expected to respond to with this. Like, yes, there's a conspiracy against you, Bristol City. Or <laughs> I, I just don't understand what the response is like. You just haven't had the decisions, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the first rule of conspiracy is you never admit to it, do you? You just deny all accountability, don't you? But um, I mean, if they come, if they go with a montage of videos and evidence, then sure, they've got an argument to make. But some, it's just look. It's just look. It depends what referee you've got on the day and what they're uh, and what they're feeling like. But I think, especially over the last, I don't know, four hundred some days, so it's a year and a year and a half or year and a, year and a bit. Precisely, haven't exactly been um, a team that dominates games in the final third, so they're not getting into the box as often. They've been clinical; they've had a good range of attacking play and good range of attacking players, but they haven't been an attacking side under Pearson. I think that lends to it because there was that theory about Man United getting too many, but that's because they're an attacking team; they spend more time in the box. So I think that lends to it a little bit as well. 
West Brom striker Brandon Thomas Asante has been given a three-game ban following their draw with Chestfield in the FA Cup. He clashed with a defender towards the end of the game. It means he'll miss the upcoming championship games against Luton and Burnley and the replay against Chesterfield. Rory Delaps left Stoke as a coach. It's as part of a reshuffle by the new technical director, Ricky Martin. A bold move, that one, getting rid of a club legend mm. like him. We'll have to... Leave that one there and see how it goes. The Daily Mail says Steve Bruce is set to retire from management. This has been contradicted by Sky Sports, who say that's not actually the case. So who knows what's actually going on there. And finally, Hull will be giving supporters free coach travel to all away fixtures for the remainder of the season. It's a gesture done by the new owners of the club. I say new, they've been there for about a year now. But we talk about crap owners on this show quite a lot, Justin. Gestures like this, very nice. Yeah, it's, it's a good, um, I think especially now with the cost of living crisis and cost of train travel uh, and whatnot, I think it's certainly a, a really good move and classy move by um, by the ownership there at Hull City. And I think it's a really good way of getting fans on board and getting fans behind what you're trying to do. Um, I'm surprised more owners don't do it to at least lift the mood um, at some clubs that might, that might need it, to be honest with you. I know it's a big expense, but certainly worth it if you can take a good backing to away games. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, the Hull owners are certainly winning the popularity contest, I think, <laughs> aren't they, in the championship? Taking them on free holidays, free coach <laughs> travel, signing big-name players. A lot to like there. See if that's still the case in a few years' time. <laughs> now it's time for this. Did he? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and the club. All we've got to do is guess whether they've played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We take it in turns to guess him and we keep scores as the season goes on. This week, it's my turn to guess and Justin's to provide the players with the scores. 81-75 to Justin Peach. Justin, I'm going to revert back to my tactic, which has worked well so far for me in mm -hmm. the past. And that is just saying the first answer that comes to my head. I've stopped doing it recently for some reason and it has cost me so very dearly so i'm ready let's go for the first one please carl henry and millwall yes no made that one up who am i thinking of am i thinking of james henry i think I <laughs> probably <laughs> two completely different players very different yep. players <laughs> just same surname uh zero out of one okay darren carter and sunderland i don't know darren carter's career very well uh yes yeah, loan spell in 2004, made 10 appearances. Such a strange career. Very strange career. Yeah, yeah he was playing at Solihull Moors last time I checked. Yeah, Might have retired yeah. now, I don't know. One out of two. Johnny Housen and York City. York City? Bloody hell. Um, no. Correct, made it up. Thought I'd go for a local link with that one, but why bloody hell? I, I feel like there's a bar for how low down these clubs have got to be. York City haven't been in the in the Football League in years. Johnny Housen's 34 years old. Who's going to be next? Adam Clayton and Halifax Town? You're disrespecting Yorkshire clubs here. <laughs> Johnny, Housen's sure very, Johnny Housen's an old player. He started, his career started 09, right. 08. Right, and then right. York City were a league club then. Come on, come on. Let's God's go. sake, man. Alex Baptiste and Luton Town. Yeah, no, he made. Yeah, he had a loan spot there in 2019. You're wrong, mate. Made two appearances. Fair enough. In 2019. 2019. <laughs> <What the> hell. <laughs> I was surprised when I saw it. I was like, I was going in. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, two out of four. Paul McShane and Crystal Palace. Yes. You're correct. Loan spot in 2012 for 11 appearances. Yeah, yeah. I, I gave you that one not too long ago. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Because there's a couple I came across. I just had no idea he played in the South. He's played for two teams in the South. Yeah, that's exactly what you said last time we uh, had it on the Diddy or didn't he? <laughs> Three out of five. Next one is Brett Ormer on Nottingham Forest. No. Yeah, had a load spell in 2008, 13 appearances. <sighs> Brett Ormer, it's one of those players whose career completely passes but, me by. I know he plays for Blackpool and Preston, but apart from that. He had a good spell at Southampton, but there's a period between 2005 and 2009 where his career just took a complete dive. Yeah. Just went all over the shop. Yeah. Three out of six. Not going well, is it? Mayna Figueroa and Hall City. No. Played for them for two years. Made 35 appearances. Should I have known that? I didn't. I just thought he played for Wigan. Yeah. For some reason, yeah. Stoke always comes into my head, but that's because of his 
60 yard yeah lob. the lob yeah yeah three out of seven. Oh dear oh dear next one is Herman Horidison and Bolton Wanderers is Herman Horidison a championship legend how many games has he played in the championship I think he's played some games in the championship I'm going to say no yeah you're correct made it up they've had quite a few Icelandic players at Bolton so I thought I might swing that one in was recently assistant to Sol Campbell at Southend Fair enough. I did not know that. Four out of eight. Your next one is Paolo Gazaniga and Gillingham. Yes. That's true. He made 20 appearances. I was going to say, he was, he was permanent there, wasn't he? Yeah, he was his, um, that was his first team in the UK. Yeah, yeah I, I remember that. So yeah, I, I thought I'd go with it because I, I, might, I might throw a completely random team in there. But then it might be too obvious. But then Gillingham sort of comes into that. Thinking it's anyway. all about the mind games with this, know, with this game now. We know that. <laughs> Next one. Final one. Jay, Jay Bothroyd in Stoke City. No. Actually. Ooh. Yes. No. Oh, shit. Come on. Oh, what have I done here? <laughs> Come on. No, I'm going to say no. You're going to say no. Is that your final answer? Yes. It's what are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying Jay Bothroyd. He's still pausing. Hasn't God. played for Stoke. You'd be wrong. He made four appearances on loan in 2008. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, I can't. Oh. No, I'm not even going to entertain that anymore. Um, five, which actually I don't think is a terrible score considering how we've been doing recently. It means the overall score is 81-80 to Justin Peach. So Justin is still ahead just when we've played an even amount of games. But there we go, ladies and gentlemen. This has been Diddy or Didn't He here on the second tier as controversial a game as ever with York City cropping up. Um, But we'll be back again on Sunday to have some championship action for us to talk about on a Sunday. It's been a while since we've had a normal Sunday episode, but I'm bloody looking forward to it. So we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the second tier podcast I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.